Training's hard. Really, really hard. All right. We are three days away from kickoff between the Texas Longhorns and the number one ranked Alabama Crimson Tide. For the first time in, we believe, program history, Texas will be a 20-point underdog when that football is kicked off at 11 a.m. Central Time. Going to be hot, going to be humid. College game day will be there. Big new kickoff will be there. Today's show apparently wants to be there. Flo Rida will be performing afterwards. Maybe Britney Spears is the guest picker. Westcott, this is going to be quite the spectacle on Saturday, huh? Yeah, I've been thinking about uh, the biggest home games in the 20 years that, um, you know, since I came down to Austin to go to UT. And, um, you know, I think this one probably doesn't rank at the top. I think I would go with uh, 2006 Ohio State. A lot of expectations around that game. Um, The second game, I believe, of of Cole McCoy's career uh, coming off the national championship. Ohio State had a really good team, uh, ranked number one, actually. Um, That game didn't go very well. And, um, well, we've still got time to hope that things go better on Saturday for the Longhorns. Yeah, I think if Texas was a top 10 top 15 team like they were in 06 against Ohio State even like they were against LSU I think that the hype would be a little bit higher for this game I think everyone in the back of their head kind of knows what to expect in terms of what the outcome will be and it's trending heavily towards Alabama and rightfully so they are the the, the best team in the country if Texas was a little bit better even ranked they're going to not even be ranked for this game for the AP top 25 but if they were ranked Westcott, would you consider this, you know, the, the the biggest home game for Texas football? I think I'd probably still lean towards uh, that Ohio State game. Um, yeah. You know, in large part, just because Texas was coming off that national championship the year before. Do you think we'll get in the uh, worst home loss territory like the UCLA 66-3 game? Or well, we'll get the predictions later. But do you think that's in play, I guess, rather? I don't think so. Okay. I think, a three, I, think, I think a three touchdown losses is certainly possible, though. Line currently at 20 and a half right now. Yeah, I think 21 points would be good. But before we get to more Alabama talk, uh, I know you wanted to touch on a couple quick things from the Louisiana Monroe victory. 52 to 10 over Terry Bowden's Warhawks. Uh, and some some good news came of it in terms of Jatavion Sanders and Quinn Ewers. Yeah, well, he talked about um, – you know, on, on Monday, just the, how historic the performance was um, by Jatavian Sanders. Uh, today, I saw a tweet from, you know, PFF College that Sanders was the highest graded tight end in the country. So, you know, obviously easy to identify the big catches that he made. Uh, first catch was a, a fourth down conversion. Uh, second catch was a touchdown. Uh, probably the, caught the best pass from Ewers. Um, down the seam there that I think, you know, everybody would know what I'm talking about. Uh, but I think just, you know, Steve Sarkeesian singled out his blocking as well. Um, I think that PFF grade, um, you know, really holds up the job that Sanders did in the blocking game. I um, mean, obviously that was the biggest adjustment for him, um, having played wide receiver and tight end in high school. And, you know, he certainly heard Jeff Banks chew him out in a lot of practices, um, including early in the spring. And, uh, you know, I would suspect that he still gets some hard coaching from Jeff Banks, uh, but I don't think it's quite in the in the same tenor that it was. Yeah, I think for Texas to have a, a good game this coming Saturday, it's going to be because of Tavion Sanders 
Xavier Worthy and probably Bijan Robinson. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think those are are the guys that at the offensive skill positions that uh, I think the Longhorns really need to to step up for them uh, to be able to have some success and and, and be competitive. And we mentioned on, on Monday's podcast that Sanders had the most receptions and receiving yards for a tight end since 2011 and 2007. I mean, that goes back to the Jermichael Finley days. And to have this type of tight end, his athletic ability, his blocking ability, you know, what, what does this bring to the Texas offense that we haven't seen since the 2011-2007 era? Yeah, well, I would say that it even it even goes back farther than that. Um, you know, I was thinking maybe maybe yesterday or after we were done with our, our podcast on Monday, just trying to put into historical perspective the last time that Texas had um, a tight end with with the quality of Sanders, uh, you know, athletic, great hands, um, NFL ready size. And, you know, Jermichael Finley, um, incredibly athletic, definitely has the athleticism comparison um, to Sanders, but but not really known as, as a particularly good or physical blocker, uh, not as big as Sanders. Um, so really, I've been, you know, I think I, I caught maybe what one or one or two years of, of Bo Scaife um, when I was at Texas. But you know, I think Bo Scaife would be the last comparable dual threat tight end for Texas. And um, I think I think the upside for Sanders is, is higher than Bo Scaife. Quinn Ewers had a pretty decent debut for Texas. Obviously, the interception, a lot will be make, made of that. But overall, he calmed down after that first drive, Westcott. We talked about it a little bit. But uh, what, what did you see in terms of his progressions as he kind of calmed down and, and played pretty good football the rest of the way? Yeah, I thought one thing that, that really stood out to me um, that, that Sark mentioned in his Monday press conference um, was just his ability to go through his progressions. Um, that's something that's that's difficult um, for a lot of young quarterbacks. Some of those throws to Sanders, he had a throw to Gunnar Helm. Uh, those are his third and fourth reads. And, you know, it was just uh, right before we we jumped on here, I was uh, watching uh, the fourth down path pass uh, to Jatavian Sanders who's coming across on a drag route. And, um, you know, Louisiana Monroe on that side of the field uh, coming, coming to Ewers' left had kind of dropped off the line of scrimmage and was really keeping Ewers from being able to hit Sanders coming across the field. And so what Ewers did was that even though there wasn't really any pressure, he rolled a little bit to his left and that drew the defender to him. And then he was able to have that opening to make the pass to Sanders. And, you know, I watched it a couple of times just to try to figure out like why exactly he was, he was rolling out of the pocket since there wasn't really any pressure. And then I really got a good look at, at that defender. And I thought that that was one of those things that, um, you know, was just uh, such a such a smart and instinctive play. Like, that's not really the kind of thing that you can teach to a quarterback. You either have it or you don't. And I think that's one of those little things that makes you such a special talent. Yeah, there's a few moments from that game that I've been able to rewatch. And it, it's got me higher and higher on yours. There's a, a lot going to be a lot of growing pains, I think, and a, a lot of moments uh, that'll be frustrating to watch. But all in all, I mean, his, his arm strength, his, his talent are just two things that Texas really hasn't had in a long time. And his ability to make plays and e- even the progressions for him. I mean, we got to remember, and it's easy to forget, but we got to remember that he hasn't played a meaningful football game since the Westlake-Southlake-Carroll State Championship game 
you know, over two years ago. And, and since then, Ohio State, he had a few injuries that kept him out of spring camp. He didn't play any meaningful sat, meaningful snaps at Ohio State. And since then, he hasn't been in a meaningful football game at all. And really, that was the first time against Louisiana Monroe. And thank God it wasn't against Alabama. Um, so it's still it's so early in the process, but. Honestly, from what I've seen, Westcott, I'm really high on yours. Maybe I'm just drinking the Kool-Aid too much, but I'm really high on this kid right now. Well, there's a there's a reason that he was considered a, a generational talent. He had that perfect rating um, from 24-7 sports. Um, you know, the thing that I would add, too, about yours is that, you know, he really showed his toughness in coming back for that South Lake Carroll playoff run because he had to have a sports hernia surgery. Um, that kept him out for a lot of that season. So, you know, just a lot of missed reps, even from that year um, for for uh, Quinn Ewers. And, and that's one of the reasons why I suspect that, you know, he'll have a, a sharp learning curve. And, you know, I think the one thing that I'm really looking for this weekend is just his ability to get on the same page as, as um, you know, Xavier Worthy, as we talked about on Monday, just being able to hit those shot plays since, you know, Worthy is such an elite talent at being able to get open on post routes. So Worthy only had two catches on on Saturday against ULM. Do you think that's more of just Sark keeping the offense pretty vanilla? They didn't do anything crazy. We saw Ewers target Worthy on the first play of the game, and then the second play of the game when it was interception. Do you think that's more of just Sark's game plan to not show Nick Saban what he has in store for Ewers and Worthy, or do you think it's just going to take a little bit of time for Ewers and Worthy to establish that that chemistry? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, both of those passes were were screen passes that kind of came early in the game. I think they might have been – if they weren't on consecutive plays, I think they were on consecutive plays. Um, if not, they were certainly um, on the same on the same drive. And, you know, I think using Worthy in that way is going to be important uh, to get yours settled in on Saturday. Uh, but I do think, um, judging from that game, that, um, you know, that yours does – you know, have to get his connection with Worthy a little bit better. Um, you know, kind of as we as we talked about those those post routes are are difficult because the wide receiver will often bend the direction. You know, on the after his stem on that post route, uh, based on what he's seen from the defensive backs, and so the quarterback and the wide receiver, you know, have to be on the same page there. And um, that's something that I think Ewers is accurate enough. Uh, that once they get on the same page and they have an understanding of of being able to see the same thing, that that I think they'll be able to connect, uh, be able to connect on those plays. But um, to really have a chance on Saturday, um, I think they're going to need to be able to connect connect on those if they're there, because you know Alabama is obviously so talented that um, you can't afford to waste those opportunities if you can create them, because they're just not a lot of teams that makes mis- that not a team that makes a lot of mistakes like that on the back end. And since you brought up Alabama, I think it's a good segue to transition to Saturday's game against the Crimson Tide. Uh, again, the, the largest underdog, the largest line in favor of the visiting team against Texas at DKR in school history. We've been trying to go back and find it. I think the best guess is possibly the 2006 Ohio State game. I think ESPN Stats and Info said this is by far the largest deficit in terms of a line. Westcott, just going into this game, Alabama, what does Texas have to do? First off, before I even say that, does Texas even have a chance of winning, realistically? 
I think they would need to have almost everything go right. Um, you know, we need to start talking about the anatomy of an upset. Um, you know, I mentioned it a post today. Going back to the, um, you know, Washington beating uh, USC in 2009. Uh, USC was awful on third down. Um, they turned the ball over three times in Washington territory. And um, they had uh, eight penalties. And so, uh, you know, certainly those are those are areas that, you know, Texas is going to have to be able to hit on. Um, they're not going to be able to benefit from, you know, Bryce Young being out unless something, you know, happens between now and Saturday. And, you know, certainly I, I wouldn't wish that on, on Bryce Young, who by all accounts is as good of a kid as he is, you know, a player. Um, but, you know, Texas is going to have to be able to convert. Um, you know, on third downs, they're going to have to be able to avoid penalties. They're going to have to avoid, um, you know, pass protection breakdowns. They're going to have to avoid uh, the poor run fits, uh, giving up explosive plays to Alabama. Um, so I think that, you know, you go down the checklist of, of all the things that Texas needs to have go right um, in that game to be able to win. And I, I think it's um, it's a very substantial one. Yeah, Chad Hastings had a, a really good piece on a show i believe it was monday or tuesday about five are the key key factors in the last five alabama losses um and a lot of things that have in common is the opposing team was able to score first they had less penalties in alabama they had more rushing yards in alabama and they won the turnover battle and i think that's that's the biggest key for for Saturday's game is can Texas force turnovers because it's going to take Alabama to make a lot of mistakes, right? Yeah, no question about that. Um, we talked about, you know, turnover margin before. Um, I would say that's the one single stat that if Texas doesn't win the turnover margin, then they don't have a chance to win. I think they could win the turnover margin and still not come out with the victory. Um, but I, w- I would say that's probably uh, the one stat that if Texas doesn't win, uh, then they really don't have a chance. Uh, one thing that I would point out, though, is that, um, you know, Nick Saban went into last season having never lost to an assistant and lost to two assistants last year. So, you know, really starting to crumble there. Yeah, and another another I'm, I'm thing, I think. <laughs> another, hey, careful, man. Alabama fans, you know, they're already pissed off about the band apparently wow. being the upper upper deck. You don't want to. No, they're not going to be there. They would have been in the upper deck if they had wanted to give up some of their 5,000 tickets, which of course they weren't going to do because then all of their, all of their connected fans would have been even more upset than their fans were on Twitter about their band not being there. If you have a a Texas football bingo card for 2022, you can go ahead and X off uh, opposing teams complain about the band situation. It happens every year. And one other thing too, Westcott, I wanted to point out about in the last couple losses is, is it feel it feels like except for last year's A and M loss or A and M's victory over Alabama, it feels like the other team always had a generational talent at quarterback or at least a quarterback who can make a lot of big plays. And that reminds me of Deshaun Watson at Clemson, uh, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, obviously Johnny Manziel at A and M, and I think Quinn Ewers is a quarterback that possibly if Texas does somehow pull off the upset or even if they play close it's because Quinn Ewers is out there making incredible plays yeah no doubt um I don't think that 
you know, Texas has a chance to to win the game unless Ewers continues to show um, some progression. And, and he's going to have to not only avoid mistakes, but um, come up with more big plays. And he did it in his debut. And um, that's going to be a huge ask. Uh, he's going to be under more pressure in the pocket. Um, incredible edge players from Alabama, Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell. And, um, you know, good coverage on the back end is going to force him to, to throw the ball in, into some small windows. And, um, you know, when he does that, he, he's certainly going to put the ball um, at, at risk for some interceptions. So, um, you know, it's it's going to be a very, um, you know, tight line for Ewers to walk and being aggressive and making some of the throws that he's capable of making uh, without at the same time, um, you know, endangering the football as he did on that second throw on that first drive when he was intercepted. Obviously, if Texas wins, this will change the entire outlook of the season. But if they do lose, is it going to change anything for you in terms of maybe by how by how much they lose or how little they lose by? Or do you think you're, you're, whatever happens this kind of week, it's just like Sarkeesian said on Monday where it won't define the season? Yeah, well, I thought that was um, some very intentional expectation setting um, by Steve Sarkeesian. Um, <laughs> uh, and but he is he is correct. Um, you know, the most important thing for this team is for them to be playing better in November than they're playing right now. Uh, certainly, you know that that um, early stretch in, in conference play will be much more defining than this Alabama game will be. And so, you know, really it's all about being able to win games in the big 12 and then trying to get to Arlington. And, um, you know, this Alabama game will, will be a good test for Texas. Um, it'll be a moment where a lot of the young players uh, really have a chance to grow up and, and play on a big stage. And so I think, um, you know, no matter what the, what the results are, I think, I don't remember exactly what it was that how Sark framed it, but, you know, he's really looking at, how Texas plays, if they play hard, whether they play smart, and not necessarily the outcome of the game, but the way that Texas plays it and how they can build on that moving forward. Yeah, I think that that's a good indicator of where this team's at, where the culture's at. If by the third and fourth quarter, you know, the score may be 42, the the 13 or 42, 20, how, how hard is Texas still playing? Are, are guys still kind of jogging around? Like the Georgia Tech offensive lineman who was jogging around in screenplays last night. I know you saw that, right, Westcott? I did, man. That was brutal. That kid, that kid did uh, not have a fun day in the film room. And and you know what stood out about that too is that kid was a four star prospect. Like, yeah, Georgia Tech doesn't land a lot of those guys. I think he was a maybe you know top twenty interior lineman. Uh, you need those guys to hit, and you need those guys to play hard. So uh, just a really. Uh, bad insight into the type of culture that Jeff Collins has right now. And that was early in the game too. Those were first and second quarter plays. I don't, I don't know how long those drives were. I don't think Georgia tech is kind of casually watching that game and, you know, on the TV in the bar last night. Um, I don't know how long those drives were, but uh, wow, that was, uh, that was really bad. His effort level on those two screen passes was like my effort level in gym class when we were told to run. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, please look it up. But the media kind of uh, took what Sark said out of context, which we're in 2022, the age of Twitter, so everything's taken out of context. Um, but a lot of people were harping on him for the comment saying 
this game won't define us and saying, well, that doesn't really instill a lot of confidence in his players. And people, for some reason, were upset that he had a game plan for Alabama three months ago as if he didn't work with Alabama and coached Nick Saban for two years, same program, and wasn't going to take anything out of the Utah State game. But the whole thing with it doesn't define us, Westcott, is if Sark comes out and says, yes, this game means everything, it will define our season, and Texas loses by about 50, then what does that say to the players, right? Yeah, I mean, that would be um, just a, a total failure in, in public relations. Um, for yeah. Sark. I think that the Texas Sports Information Department um, knows better than to, to, than to let him frame it like that. Um, and I think Sark himself uh, knows better than to do that. And, you know, certainly exemplary performances – uh, by all accounts from uh, from the players, uh, not giving Nick Saban any bulletin board material. I'm sure that was something that, uh, you know, Sark knows as well as anybody that, you know, Nick Saban can take almost anything and, and turn it into a motivational tactic for his players. Um, you know, so I think, um, you know, publicly Texas has, has said um, the right things publicly, you know, heading into this game. And that's uh, no small part of the battle um, against Alabama. And in shocking news, Texas did not receive any uh, coaches vote for the number one <laughs> rank in the week two coaches poll. So uh, Nick Saban either changed his vote or someone else changed their vote. But um, I still would love to know who gave Texas that number one vote and then somehow didn't vote them one, number one the next week. Uh, also, and I guess not really surprising news, Westcott, but the new AP poll, AP poll came out and Texas actually moved down a spot from 27 to uh, 28. Looking at some of the AP top 25 ballots, um, I saw Fresno State in there not Texas, and I have no issue with Texas being ranked, but some of these ballots are just kind of comical. But interesting that this weekend it's going to have the big noon kickoff, it's going to have college game day, and yet it won't feature two top 25 teams, which which is pretty interesting for a game so early in the season. Yeah, and um, I think certainly some of the storyline there um, that makes it appealing for, you know, college game day to be there is the last time these two teams played, it was for a national championship. Um, since then, things have not gone well for Texas. Things have gone extremely well for Alabama. And so uh, just the differing trajectories uh, of the two programs, I think, are, are a major part of this storyline. And, and then, you know, certainly, um, you know, Texas as a brand still matters, as upset as Baylor fans are about, you know, not having uh, game day at uh, Baylor, uh, BYU, the, the Bigot Bowl. Um, as I'm calling it, uh, tough luck for Baylor. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry that nobody cares about them, really. Um, that's really never going to change. So maybe get used to it. I believe it was uh, Chris Chris Falica from College Game Day who had the stat um, known as the Bear that since the 2009 National Championship game that featured uh, Texas and Alabama, Alabama is an FBS best 151 and 17 has won five national titles. Texas is 84 and 67. One win better than Northwestern. In fact, Alabama and Texas fans buckle up, pour yourself a drink. Alabama has more wins by at least 24 points than Texas has total wins in that span. If if you told 
if if I told you that after that 09 game, like there's no way you believe me, right? No. Especially because, I mean, in, you, I don't know if you remember this, but in the weeks after, uh, you know, Texas got commitments from Jackson Jeffcoat and, and Jordan Hicks. And, um, you know, despite the, the frustration of that loss, Texas still seemed like it was in uh, the golden era of its athletic program as a whole um, for basketball and baseball, too. And then, um, you know, everything fell apart. And there's a, a tweet that that resurfaced um, here today. I'm not sure if you if you've seen that one, but it was about uh, the Texas record during uh, the run of King of the Hill. Oh, no. Before. King of the Hill debuted. It was bad. After King of the Hill went off the air, it's been bad. Um, so I think finally we found a culprit, and we can blame Mike Judge for this. I think there's some talk about a reboot. If yeah. King of the Hill comes back, uh, that may be the moment that Texas knows that it's back. I think the the year after Alabama-Texas championship game, Texas Opened the season ranked number three, and I remember the Sports Illustrated cover. It had uh, Shockey Brown, Curtis Brown, and Carrington Bynum on it. I mean, that defense was supposed to be legit, and I think it, it was pretty good. It just no offense after Mac Brown completely changed things up on, on Garrett Gilbert. But um, and, we could spend in that defense. That defense did end up peaking the next year and was really excellent. But yeah, Mac Mac Brown's offensive decision that year was. Um, Stupid, extremely stupid. We could, we could do a whole podcast series uh, on that. Um, yeah. But back I'm, to I'm Alabama. Trying to be, I'm, trying to be, I'm trying to be hopeful for the next three days, so I don't I don't yeah. want to get talking about late era Mac Brown and his decisions. Texas fans, just be prepared in the coming days, especially if you're, if you're going to watch game day or, or the big noon kickoff. Just be prepared for a ton of B-roll and highlight clips from that 09 game and the Colt McCoy injury. And the Garrett Gilbert fumble and the interceptions, um, just you know, may, just be prepared for it because it's going to bring, it's going to stir up some emotions you probably have been avoiding for the better half of the last what 14, 13 years. Yeah, trigger warning for sure. Now back to Alabama. Uh, just did you watch anything from the Utah State game? I know there's not a lot to uh, to take from it. Kind of just like Texas ULM. Nick Saban didn't put too much too much on tape, but just curious uh, what were your takeaways from the uh, 55 to nothing victory over the Aggies? Yeah, a few a few takeaways um, from that game that I'll have um, on on Wednesday morning that'll be up when when people get this podcast. Um, I think the first one is is really um, how different the Alabama offensive line looks from what Kyle Flood built when he was at Alabama. Um, interior offensive uh, interior offensive lineman for Alabama, um, all three go about three hundred pounds, um, extremely light for the the big humans um, that Kyle Flood really prefers. Um, on the outside, they have a Vanderbilt transfer at left tackle. Um, a solid longtime SEC player. He's not Evan Neal. Um, on the right side, they have the number three prospect from the 2021 class, J.C. Latham. Um, both of those guys struggled a little bit, had to resort to a lot of holding um, against Utah State, including uh, former Texas player Byron Vaughns, who, um, you know, I think 
might might uh, be starting for Texas um, if he had stayed and, and certainly is, is having a nice career for himself at, at Utah State, which is, um, you know, certainly good to see for a guy that they came in as, as a developmental uh, project with a lot of, you know, kind of a, a high upside and a low floor. Um, you know, the interior um, offensive line was struggling uh, to keep the pocket from getting collapsed against Utah State. Um, I don't really know anything about their, um, you know, defensive line, obviously, a you know, pretty solid uh, group of five school. Um, but, you know, really that the issues on the, you know, on uh, really across the Alabama offensive line um, were resulting in Bryce Young having those five carries for 100 yards. And, you know, Bryce Young is is probably the most athletic pro style pocket passer uh, that you'll really ever see. You know, I think his his athleticism may not be as good as Kyler Murray's, uh, but it, it's certainly very close. Um, and he's a guy who normally prefers to use that athleticism uh, to move around in the pocket or outside the pocket uh, to make plays passing. Um, against Utah State, he ended up making plays scrambling. Um, so, you know, I think the Texas pass rushers have to be very aware of staying in their lanes and being able to keep him contained in the pocket uh, because, you know, collapsing the pro- collapsing the pocket or creating pressure from the edge uh, loses all of its value if you're allowing that quarterback uh, to get out of the pocket and into the open field. Um, you know, Sark mentioned, you know, one play, I think it was the longest run uh, by Louisiana Monroe, if I'm correct off the top of my head here there's a scramble by Chandler Rogers up the middle um, a situation where the Texas Pats rushers got out of those rush lanes and um, you know so I, I think Texas has a chance to really influence the line of scrimmage defensively uh, but they're going to have to do it in a disciplined way and um, you know so so I think you know the offensive line is one area where Alabama isn't as good especially as they were two years ago uh, with that group that Sark and Flood Coast that won the Joe Moore Award, I think it's actually a, a fairly substantial drop off, um, and I think that the wide receiver group doesn't have the same level of proven explosiveness that they had. They don't have a Devontae Smith, they don't have um, a Jamison Williams, they don't have a John Mechie even. Um, they have you know a handful of guys, obviously that they were highly recruited but they haven't produced a lot. And, um, you know, Jermaine Burton, probably their number one wide receiver uh, transfer from Georgia, uh, still building game experience uh, playing with Bryce Young. And so I think, you know, that wide receiver group um, isn't as good, but, you know, really uh, before we take a break here, um, you know, I'd say that those are the two areas that I think that, that Texas might have an angle that they could exploit against Alabama. You know, at the same time, you know, we're also talking about the Heisman winner um, at quarterback, an extremely good running back um, in Jameer Gibbs, who transferred from uh, from Georgia Tech and, and a lot of talent and depth. Um, Alabama, number one in the country in their blue chip ratio at 89 percent. Yeah, and JoJo Earl, the sophomore wide, I believe he's out for the first six or eight games. So he's not playing this one on Saturday against Texas. So you got me thinking, I mean, obviously Bryce Young's the best quarterback, but I think Texas at the skill positions might be better than Alabama. I think um, I think Jordan Winnington and, and Xavier Worthy would have a chance to start for Alabama. Um, I don't know if they have um, quite, the, quite the depth, though. Uh, especially with Isaiah New York. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and yeah, well, just on paper, if you include Naor, I would say it's better. Now, without him, it's a little bit closer. And, I mean, Jameer Gibbs is a great running back. He averaged 10 yards per carry in that game against Utah State. But, yeah, looking at Bryce Young's runs, a lot of it came from when he was being forced out of the pocket. So it looks like Texas has a shot of getting to Young in the backfield. But like you mentioned, we didn't really see Texas – at least the ones get really tested in the run game because I feel like the defensive line did a great job stuffing all those inside zones. Not a lot of not a lot of carries that got to the second level, which most likely is going to happen at least some point against Alabama. So how will the linebackers play? Um, Jalen Ford didn't have a tackle, and some people were questioning: is that, is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Um, how will David Benda play? Uh, Overshone had a fantastic game, but. There was a few times Westcott watching the film where he kind of got beat on a few wheel routes. And there's a couple times where if Chandler Rogers w- was looking towards him or, or wasn't, you know, having the run for his life, it could have been a big game for uh, for the Warhawks. Yeah, and certainly, uh, you know, run fits were such an issue for the Texas linebackers last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at times Texas is going to be playing with uh, DeMarvin Overshone, um, you know, at the um, – at the strong side linebacker position on the edge, and they'll bring in Diamante, Tucker Dorsey, the James Madison transfer, and, um, you know, a little bit smaller guy. And so uh, that'll be his first opportunity, you know, to really show whether or not he can beat blocks at the second level from, you know, the best offensive lineman that he'll have ever faced in his career. How do you feel about the, the Texas secondary? Because I think my, my biggest question going into this game is, the secondary wasn't really tested by Louisiana Monroe. I mean, Chandler Rogers only finished with 108 yards passing. Uh, the backup Hable, all of his yards came against the twos and threes. But secondary-wise, with Keaton Crawford back there, the sophomore, he's now starting. How, how do you? How I guess what's your confidence level in, in this secondary? Because I'm still, it's it's still. Yeah, well, it was, out with the it was Jaren, it was Jaren Thompson out there with. Um... With the ones with um, with Anthony Cook, um, they did rotate frequently. I don't know how much that will happen, but you know, I would still say the Texas secondary largely unproven. Um, Deshaun Jameson made this splash play, uh, being in the right place at the right time, something he has a knack for. Um, he also gave up some completions too. Um, so I, I just don't, I don't think that Louisiana Monroe was good enough to to give us any real insight in, into the status of the Texas secondary right now. Yeah, uh, excited for Jalen Gilbo. I thought he played a really good game. Had an incredible block on that Deshaun Jameson pick six. Um, but you want to get into our picks, or do you, you also got some thoughts on Alabama you want to get out? Uh, let's uh, take a break and uh, talk about the defense before we take, make our picks. All right, Alabama defense. What are your thoughts on them? Let's go. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think you have to start up front. Um, you know, Alabama, according to the BFF, has the best defensive line in the country. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, I think that's uh, certainly a good case to be made for that. Um, you know, Will Anderson on the edge has led the country in pressures um, for the last two seasons. Um, total stud Dallas Turner um, on the other side of the strong side linebacker position. I would expect to see a lot of him um, because I expect Texas to play a lot of 12 personnel once again, uh, which I I believe was the primary personnel grouping, Um, you know, at least when the first team offense uh, was in there or Quinn Ewers was in there. 
Um, they're going to put a lot of pressure on, on Kelvin Banks and, and Kristen, Christian Jones. Um, Banks didn't give up a pressure against ULM. Um, ULM does uh, not have anyone in the same universe as um, Will Anderson. <laughs> so um, the, the, the only thing that Banks could do in that game was not give up any pressures. Um, I don't, I don't think that's going to mean a whole lot. Um, I would honestly um, have higher expectations for him holding up and, and uh, pass blocking than, you know, I do with Christian Jones on the other side, who's just struggled uh, so much in, in that area in his career. Um, you know, on the interior, um, what Sarg mentioned on Monday was that the defensive line tends to force a lot of running plays to bounce out to the perimeter. Um, obviously, in those situations, uh, the team speed of Alabama and their ability to rally the football really come into play. Um, so I think it's going to be difficult um, for Texas to be able to run in, in the interior gaps. Um, I'm not sure how exactly, you know, outside zone will play. That's um, the best scheme for Bijan Robinson. Um, you know, it may be that getting those defensive linemen moving laterally helps Texas be able to find some creases. Um, but, you know, I, I think in the passing game, Texas is really going to have to rely um, you know, on some screens, on some run pass options, and on some play action passes uh, where they max protect, uh, just to make sure that Quinn Ewers has a, has a clean pocket uh, to throw from. And, and I think we're really going to get a strong look at, at the pocket presence that Quinn Ewers has, and also where Kelvin Banks and, and Christian Jones are at uh, with their pass protection. Yeah, my biggest question for you then is, how do you think Sark will try and get the ball to Bijan? And what's the best way? You just kind of mentioned you don't think outside zone will, will be the best way in trying to run down the middle. So then how is the what is the best way of getting the ball to your best player? Yeah, I, I think in defense. Yeah, I think they, um, you know, if the Alabama defense is, is really aggressive coming downhill, um, I think they may run some running back screens. Um, you know, the, the pass blocking for Texas – uh, was good enough, or I'm sorry, the uh, the blocking by the wide receivers was good enough that, you know, I think Texas, you know, might try to, uh, you know, use some of those swing passes to Bijan Robinson to be able to get him out in space. Um, and and Bijan talked to us um, the week of, of the Louisiana Monroe game, you know, about how much he's worked on being able to line up as a wide receiver and create mismatches um, against, uh, you know, linebackers ideally. Uh, possibly even safeties. Um, so I think that that's something that, um, you know, we could see Texas use as well. Yeah, we mentioned earlier in the podcast about, you know, kind of big things that helped teams beat Alabama in their last five their last five losses. And one of those things is, is leading in, in the rushing category against Alabama. Do you think there's any way that Texas will be able to do that on Saturday? Or you think it's just kind of a, a moot point considering where the Alabama offensive line is? I mean, the Brockemeyer twins aren't even sniffing the depth chart right now at Alabama. That tells you where they're at in their offensive line. And it's not even one of their best offensive line under Nick Saban by any measure. Yeah, I, I think, you know, as we talked about, Texas has a much better chance of winning the line of scrimmage defensively. Um, I, I would be extremely surprised if Texas can do that offensively. Um, I would put very, very low odds of that happening. And so, um, you know, if Texas, if Texas is going to 
outrush Alabama. I think they're going to have to do it by producing an explosive play or two and really shutting down that Alabama running game and keeping Bryce Young from being able to scramble. Is there any way you can talk me out of just already accepting a 21-point loss on Saturday? I think that, you know, as I, as I mentioned, as I, you know, sort of spent a little bit of time on, on Monday trying to talk myself into Texas being competitive, you know, I think the lack of explosive, proven explosiveness and experience from the Alabama receivers in their system, um, I don't think Bill O'Brien is as good of a play caller as Steve Sarkeesian. Um, and I, I don't think that the Alabama offensive line uh, based on some of those moments from that Utah State game, um, you know, is is elite. Even I, I think they're probably good. Um, I don't, I don't want. I think that it would be a stretch to say that that they're mediocre. Um, but you know, this is this is an Alabama team that's built very differently than um, you know, especially that two thousand that two thousand nineteen that Texas played. For a lot of those teams, you know, the A.J. McCarron teams, um, you know, Sark said that he was, you know, willing to admit publicly that this is a, a pass first, you know, Alabama team. And so, um, you know, I, I think maybe if, if Texas can, um, you know, have have success, you know, limiting those Alabama wide receivers, I, I don't think that they're necessarily going to disrupt Bryce. Bryce Young, particularly, um, I think he's too good for that. Um, but I do think that um, if they can collapse the pocket on him, keep him contained, and be able to cover, then um, you know I really think that that's the only way that that they really have a chance. And maybe, and I think you know the other thing too, like in that um, in the A and M game last year, there's a 90, 96 yard um, kickoff return for a touchdown. And I believe that was um, Devin, Devin um, a chain. Sorry if I'm pronouncing his name wrong, but I think, you know, Texas uh, probably would need, you know, a big, a big play and um, on special teams, it's swing things. I don't, you know, I think that there's probably been a little bit of a drop off, not having Jeff Banks as their special teams coordinator, given the reputation that, that he has around college football. And I believe Alabama outgained AM by a lot. Yeah. 522 yards to 379. If that happens on Saturday, I don't see how, how Texas wins that game. Um, I think the Alabama lead 14 nothing against Alabama last year, and then Alabama was able to tie it back up. Or is that from from the Manziel? I think it was the Manziel year when they led 20 nothing. I don't remember how it went down last year. Let's not give too much credit to AM, actually. We, we can go ahead and, and skip past that. Uh, you want to go ahead and get into. Not the space for that, for sure. <laughs> you want to get into our picks for Saturday? Uh, yeah, I mean, once again, whatever I say is not betting advice. If you'd like to bet, don't take it. Um, notably, it was wrong last weekend, once again. Um, so maybe if you want to bet, just bet against what I say. Maybe <laughs> if you're going to do anything with it, but once again, I do not advise that. 
So what's the pick then? You taking? Oh, I know you're taking Alabama, but you taking the over? Or I guess Alabama uh, plus points is the correct betting way to say it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's safe to take Alabama. It opened at seventeen and a half. Let me double check where it's at right now. Uh, it's at twenty. On draft DraftKings, when I checked it, it was twenty today. Yeah. And I think you know. I guess Weska, tell me if I'm wrong here, but is it okay as a Texas fan to be okay with a twenty-one point loss? If I come out of Saturday and we lose, you know, just by by twenty-one points, is is that sad? Am I taking a book out of Jerry Jones by saying it's a moral victory, or is that just where Texas is at right now in year two? Yeah, well, I've yeah, I've I've sad news about the last decade plus of Texas football, um, and how that applies to this particular football game. Mm. But I, you know, I think it's sort of um, as Sark was alluding to, it's more of a holistic evaluation. Um, you know, you want Texas to be able to make plays, try to avoid as many mistakes as possible, um, show some communication and cohesion and effort on defense. Um, you know, and then I think you just kind of uh, let the chips fall where they may and um, try to get better, uh, make sure to avoid an upset against UTSA. And, um, you know, I, I think regardless of what happened, you know, I mean, if Texas gets blown out like Utah State did, I would, I would be shocked by that. I think that would be a really horrible sign. Um, you know, I guess I would, I would maybe um, – the best comparison just as a benchmark for Texas, um, in my opinion, would be that the second game against Arkansas last year, um, you know, obviously the environment will be extremely different. And I think that should provide Texas a major advantage in um, avoiding getting boat raced like they did against Arkansas. Um, but, you know, really like they, Texas seemed uh, not particularly well coached, not particularly well prepared. Um, completely incapable of rising up to that to that moment, really almost, you know, from the beginning of that game. And I think it would be um, really disturbing if Texas shows some of those same tendencies and has the same type of results uh, this year at home. There's only one offensive lineman that started against Arkansas that's starting this game on Saturday, right? Do I have that correct? Uh, Jake Majors and Christian Jones are two. Okay, so two. And Ungalau would have made it three, but mm-hmm. at least Sark and Flood are getting bigger bodies in the offensive line. They're they're getting closer to what they want to do in, in the big humans category. Um, but if you're going to be there on Saturday, just take note uh, of how big the Bama guys are. People who were there up in Fayetteville for the Arkansas game mentioned to me just how, how bigger Arkansas was compared to Texas, and you're going to see it on this Saturday with some of the Alabama players. Yeah, no question about that. Um, you know, as we talked about, probably not as much um, on the offensive line as, as um, you might expect. Um, only two years out from the Kyle Flood era there. Uh, but certainly, you know, defensively and, and just all around, um, you know, I mean, these are, these are you know, the elite of the elite players. And, um you know, Texas is building up that talent level again. They have more guys um, who looked apart than they did a year ago. Um, but, uh, you know, really, I think when it comes down to it, um, you know, this is all 
in preparation ultimately um, for a roster that that should really peak next year and uh, hopefully give Texas a chance uh, to really be competitive for the first time since, you know, if you consider 2018, you know, the only time since 2009. Where this program is at, it's meant to peak next year versus where Alabama is at, where last year they were possibly at Jamison Williams and John Mechie injury away from winning a national championship in, in a year that Nick Saban said was rebuilding. Um, so I, I don't, Texas fans, obviously there's been a lot of buildup to this game and rightfully so is all we've been talking about for, it feels like the last eight months, but um, this is not like the LSU game in, in 2018 or even the Notre Dame game in, in 2016, like Texas is just not meant to win. I'm sorry. They're just not meant to win. No, I don't think so. And, you know, hopefully Texas can kind of get back towards that point where there's not a, as much conversation about the roster peaking, um, you know, as it is at Alabama, but, you know, probably um, the greatest, the greatest dynasty in, in college football history um, that Nick Saban is building. So, um, you know, Texas is um, trying to crawl back uh, just towards relevance and, um, you know, certainly some, some positive signs and, um, you know, a, a measuring stick for where they are right now. And um, we'll see, we'll see what that measuring stick says on, uh, on Saturday by mid afternoon. But, um, you know, for any Texas fans going in with a lot of hope, um, I would recommend that they stick up on uh, stock up on their um, spirit of choice um, before the game. Yeah, I'm sure Texas fans who are listening to this are just thinking like, wow, these guys are just so optimistic. And I'm sure most of the Texas media has been saying the same stuff where it's it's just all messages, messages of doom. But also, I think, you know, maybe enjoy Saturday, too, because, you know, not often as the number one team in the country uh, come to DKR and get to visit. I know it's not a, a 7 p.m. kickoff like most of us want. It's going to be 11 a.m. and by two o'clock, the third quarter, you're going to be in the sun. Texas could be losing by 30 points. You might be miserable, but also it should be, it should be a pretty good environment. Um, hopefully the South end zone, is going to be somewhat filled. Um, I mean, at this point, I'm kind of already accepting that it won't be. Dozens, dozens of people in the South end zone, most likely. Um, but just kind of to, to put a, a cap on this, um, I think Texas should be able to come in and, and play this game very loose. Uh, there's there's no pressure on them, really. You know, Alabama is a team coming in with the expectations. They have a standard to uphold. And Texas is, is trying to build towards that standard. So, um, you know, Tark mentioned not coming in and, and being really enamored of the opponent um, and kind of hold, uh, passing over a, a mental edge to the other team as soon as they step on the field. And I think if, if the Texas players can do that and, and be in the right mental spot, um, you know, and if there's good game plans on, on both sides of the ball, then, um, you know, I'm hopeful that Texas can play loose and, and that they'll be able to make some plays on Saturday. I think we can end on, on this West Scott. So college game, day, of course, will be here Saturday. Uh, as of Tuesday night, recording this 9.54 p.m., we do not know who the guest picker is. This podcast will be released tomorrow, so maybe by the time this comes out, people already know. But who should be the guest picker? Wrong answers only. I'll go with Tom Herman first. 
Um, let me think of what we... Because uh, right now that the speculation is Britney Spears because she posted an Instagram picture of a steer uh, with the caption Longhorns uh, spaced out, good to meet you or something like that. So possibly it could be Britney Spears. ESPN has had a history of going with people who aren't really tied with the university as a guest, guest picker, such as Katy Perry in the past. Jack Harlow was the guest picker last week. Uh, what, what, I don't even, where was game day at? It was uh, Ohio State, Notre Dame. He's from Kentucky, so that doesn't make any sense. So uh, McConaughey has already said no. Pull assassin and her monkey. <laughs> that, would, that would definitely be a bad one. Um, and maybe Justin Bieber. People seem like kind of upset that Justin Bieber was hanging out around the Texas basketball facilities a few years ago. So maybe I'll go with, with him. Bieber. Uh, John Morant's been here recently. Uh, hey, maybe we can get I'll, I'll ride with John Morant, man. That dude is a baller. And he's got a good personality, too. Maybe we can get uh, – this is going to be really inside baseball for those who don't understand the reference, but maybe we just get Harry Styles, Chris Pine, Olivia Wilde, Jason Sudeikis, just <laughs> just a reunion of all that drama. We can finally figure out whether or not if, if Chris Pine – or Chris Pine, if Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine. But, uh, <laughs> but what's got – the next time we talk, um, not only will we know who won the Alabama game, we'll know uh, – Britney Spears was the guest picker. So, I mean, this this might be just as important as the result on Saturday. Uh, I suspect that we'll be reminded that winning is hard. Winning is hard, as always. Uh, shout out to Tom Herman, who, who's now in the broadcast booth. Uh, too bad we can't get him on the call for this game. Uh, instead, it'll be Fox. I believe it'll be, it will be Gus Johnson and, and Joel Klatt on the call. I haven't... Um... I haven't looked at the game notes for confirmation of that, but I, I definitely – I would assume that that should uh, be a treat for everyone at home, um, perhaps most especially for the Alabama fans. Aaron Gus Johnson. Texas! Decker! <laughs> Just Gus Johnson screaming uh, random words, hopefully in Texas' favor. But, again, uh, thank you for listening. Winning is Hard podcast, Mondays and Wednesdays throughout the year. Of course, if you've got any questions for us, drop them in the comment section. Remember to uh, subscribe. And uh, any any Sweet Home Alabama, any Alabama music you're going to be blasting this week, or you're staying away? I hate Sweet Home Alabama. One of the dumbest <laughs> songs ever written. One of the absolute dumbest songs ever written, man. Neil Young is like, hey, stop being racist. And Leonard Skinner is like, leave us alone, man. The sky's blue. How blue is the sky, man? It's humid in Alabama. The sky's not even blue, bro. Go to the mountains and see a real blue sky. Come from the Texas-Alabama preview. Stay for Westcott, Rip, and Leonard Skinner, the new one. Love it. Um, I suspect we won't hear any Leonard Skinner being played on Saturday, but you will hear us on the Winning is Hard podcast next Monday. Westcott, see you then. All right, thanks, It's hard, really, really hard.